being sold in 2018, the marketing material used these words. It said, these are homes for the next century, secluded and private, yet able to provide unsurpassed accessibility to all of life's pleasures. However, as you might know, the tower that was built for the next century didn't last to the next year before cracks started to appear. Residents began to notice loud banging noises in the building, panelling that started to fall off, and cracks in the structure of the building appeared. Residents were evacuated for fear of the building collapsing, and many spent last Christmas away from home in great misery. Now, whilst the residents were eventually returned to their apartments, it is true, isn't it, that the things that we build with our hands do not last forever. It's not just buildings, but think about the things that you and I try to build in our lives. We work at building our wealth, but one day we may lose it all. And certainly, on the day that you and I die, we will lose it all. Uh, We work at building our careers, but one day we will be forced to retire. And on the day that we die, uh, probably no one will remember the work that you and I have done. Uh, We work at building our marriages, and yet even the goodness of marriage comes to an end. Uh, We promise one another to love each other until death do us part. Now, uh, we've been looking at Matthew's Gospel for a while, and uh, today's passage is a crucial passage, which everything since chapter 13 has been moving towards. And uh, I want to suggest that this passage is really about the building work that Jesus himself is doing, the building work that he is project managing, if you like, And you can see it there in uh, verse 18, chapter 16, verse 18, where Jesus says the extraordinary words, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But what is this church that Jesus promises to build? Well, the the word church just means an assembly of people. Uh, It's a gathering. Uh, It's a meeting, uh, much like this one. But Jesus is not speaking here about an earthly church or an earthly institution. For churches on earth come and go. And often death uh, of, of people will mean that churches close down. But Jesus says here that not even the gates of hell shall prevail against it. In other words, not even death will stand against the building of this church that Jesus is building. And so what Jesus must be speaking about here is not the earthly church, but the heavenly church. It's the gathering of God's people in heaven, which we can be a part of now, spiritually, but one day physically to dwell with God, experiencing his blessing forever. Are you a part of this heavenly church that Jesus is building Are you a part of this building that not even death itself will bring to an end? Well, how do we become a part of this church that Jesus is building? Well, uh, in this passage, I hope you can see that those who are a part of this church are those who recognize 
the identity of Jesus, as uh, Monique very helpfully uh, showed us this morning. In other words, it's those who clearly see who Jesus is who are part of this church. Now, Jesus' identity uh, is the issue here because notice that Jesus asks his disciples what other people think about who he is. And you can see there that popular opinion about Jesus is very divided in his day. Uh, Let's pick it up from verse 13. Have a look at chapter 16, verse 13. Uh, It says there, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Uh, The Son of Man was uh, Jesus' way of, of referring to himself. Uh, often uh, in in his earthly ministry. And so when Jesus asks, who do people say the Son of Man is, he's really asking, who do people say that I am? And you can see here that the people of of Jesus' day have many different views. Some say uh, he's John the Baptist. Uh, If you remember, uh, this was the view of a certain someone uh, a few chapters back. Can anyone remember who thought this, that Jesus was John the Baptist? I think, yeah, Herod, Herod, Herod Antipas, who, uh, uh, you know, chopped off John the Baptist's head. It seems that his guilty conscience leads him to think that John the Baptist has come back from the dead and uh, being someone influential, uh, his views have started to spread. Uh, Others think that Jesus is Elijah, who was that great Old Testament prophet who took on the prophets of Baal uh, in the Old Testament. And the Jewish expectations, based on passages like Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, if you're taking notes, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, was that Elijah would return before God finally comes uh, to judge this world. Still, others think that Jesus is the prophet Jeremiah. Now, why would people think that Jesus is Jeremiah? Well, Jeremiah, uh, if you've ever read the the long book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, was the prophet of doom. And uh, he, he spoke uh, uh, and, and warned Israel of what will come if they continue to uh, be hard in their heart against God. And I don't know whether you noticed, but Jesus has been very critical of Israel and has predicted terrible things for those who do not repent. And so some thought that he was Jeremiah. Still, others think that he's one of the prophets. You see, there, there was no end to popular opinion about who Jesus really is. Uh, friends, it's no different in our day, is it? For example, Jesus has graced the cover of Time magazine no less than 20 times since its inception. Uh, each time, the magazine reported some new theory about the true identity of Jesus. Jesus, the revolutionary Jesus Christ, superstar, Jesus the single man, Jesus the married man, Jesus the miracle worker, Jesus the teacher of morality. You see, there there is no shortage of public opinion about who Jesus really is. Often these opinions are driven by marginal and questionable scholars who are fueled by their thirst for controversy and fame rather than interested in the truth and carefully researching the facts. 
But friends, notice that Jesus here is not concerned about public opinion. Rather, he goes on to ask his disciples the much more personal and probing question of who do you say that I am? You see, it's no longer who do people out there say that I am, but it's who do you say that I am? You see, it's a question that leaves very little wriggle room because you cannot just give other people's opinions about who Jesus is, but you need to wrestle with who you think he is, who you believe he is. Now, I don't know about you, but I keep on having conversations with people who try to evade answering this question by talking about other people all the time. Has that been your experience? I had one conversation recently where I asked a person, are you a Christian person? He said, well, my parents are Christian. I asked him, what did you think about uh, what Jesus says about your sin in that sermon that you just heard? He said, yeah, I think people do awful things these days. I said, who do you think Jesus really is? He said, my friends say he's the Lord. Yes, but, but who do you say Jesus is? You see, it's very easy to evade the question that Jesus asks here, isn't it? It's very easy to not make up your own mind about Jesus, which in reality is a rejection of him. How would you reply to Jesus who asks, who do you say? That I am. What is your answer to that question? Notice that here, the Apostle Peter is the first to speak up on behalf of the disciples, which is often the case. And uh, you can see his response in verse 16. Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Uh, the word Christ is not just Jesus' surname, as was explained to us. Uh, it's more of a title. Uh, in the Greek, it means the anointed one. Um, in, the, in the Hebrew, it's the word Messiah. Uh, you might know that in the Old Testament, it was the kings of Israel who were anointed with oil. Uh, and yet there was an expectation in places like Psalm 2 and other places in the Old Testament that God would one day send his ultimate king, not the, the failures who were kings of Israel all throughout Old Testament history, but one day God would send his ultimate king who would rule the nations of the world as his equal. Here Peter is saying to Jesus, well, you are that king, you are that Christ that will rule the nations. Further, the title of the Son of God comes from places like 2 Samuel 7 uh, in the Old Testament, which speaks of, of a king in David's line, King David's line, who would rule God's kingdom forever and ever. God says about this king, I will be to him a father, and he will be to me a son. What Peter is saying to Jesus is, you are that one. You are the Son of the living God who will rule God's kingdom forever and ever. Now, it's not that this is the first time one of the disciples has started to realize who Jesus is. Uh, you may remember that after Jesus walks on water in chapter 15, uh, the disciples say, truly, you are the Son of God. Clearly, they have some idea about who Jesus might be 
even before this point. Now, further, it's not that the disciples have understood everything about what it means for Jesus to be the Christ and the Son of God, as we will see in, 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 uh, in the next few weeks. They still need to grow to understand what it means for Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of the living God. But friends, this is a pivotal moment in Matthew's Gospel. Indeed, it's right smack bang in the centre of, of, the, of the entire Matthew's Gospel. Because for the first time, one of the disciples personally confesses Jesus to be the Christ and the Son of God, and notice that Jesus calls him blessed. In other words, you are highly favoured by God. You are a part of that church, that kingdom of heaven that Jesus is building, and not even death itself will take you away from that, is what Jesus is saying. Um, I love the story that Rico Tice tells. Uh, Rico Tice, uh, you may know, is an English minister, and uh, he tells the story of a time when he was invited out to lunch at a fancy place. Uh, he arrived a bit early, and so he waited on the stairs near the main dining room. And standing opposite him was another man whom he, he vaguely recognised. Uh, he was tall, uh, he was slightly balding, but he thought nothing of it. And so they gave each other a sheepish nod, as men generally tend to do when they're feeling awkward. And, uh, and they just looked at one another awkwardly for a, for a time. Until a man came up and, and said to the man standing next to Rico, Ah, William, there you are. We're in the private dining room. Can you guess who it was? It was Prince William. Uh, Rico Tice says that he felt like an idiot in missing the opportunity to get to know his future king. Now, missing Prince William's identity may have been embarrassing, but nothing much hangs on it, does it? It doesn't really affect your life if you miss his identity or not. But here, I want you to see very clearly that missing Jesus' identity is a very serious thing indeed. For it is only those who recognise who Jesus is who are part of this church this heavenly church, this eternal kingdom that Jesus is building. Who do you say Jesus is? Can you say to Jesus, you are the, son of, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God? And it's not simply just a matter of saying the words, is it? I mean, you can teach a parrot to say the words, you are the Christ, son of the living God. It might take you a bit of time, but you can do it doesn't make the parrot a part of the kingdom of heaven. Rather, the question is whether you and I believe it, whether we have this deep conviction and a settled belief that Jesus really is God's chosen king, whether he really is the son of God himself, whom I will submit everything my whole life to. Who do you say? Jesus is. Now, friends, how does someone come to this conclusion that Jesus really is the Christ and the Son of God? Well, the answer that Jesus gives is that you can only come to this conclusion 
if God reveals it to you. You can see it in what uh, Jesus says to Peter, whose original name is Simon, after his earth-shattering confession. Uh, it says there in verse 17, And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, Peter has not just worked out who Jesus is by his own cleverness or through human imagination. He hasn't worked out who he is through his ancestry. Uh, Simon Bar-Jonah simply means Simon, the son of a person called Jonah. I had a lot of fun this week calling my son Levi Bar-Huey. Uh, it doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? But the point is that Peter has not worked out who Jesus is simply because of his earthly father. He hasn't worked out any of this by human means, but because God the Father has revealed this truth to him, you see. Now, it's not that God doesn't use people to explain to us who Jesus is, isn't it? I'm sure you can remember uh, with thankfulness that all those people who have been active in your life explaining who Jesus is to you and what a blessing those people really are. It might be your parents, it might be your dear friend, or it could have been a pastor. But you believing this in your heart and confessing Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of the living God, so that you now live your life in joyful service and submission to him, well, that is not a human work. That is God's work. That is the work of God the Father who has switched on the light in you so that you finally understand. And so friends, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God, then praise him. Praise God for that. It is not your doing. It is entirely his work. And so it leaves no room for pride. Uh, further, one of the things I was reminded about this week from this passage is the need for me to pray. If being a part of God's church that Jesus is building is God's work, then I need to pray for those around me that, Jesus, that God would reveal himself to them. I need to pray for my children that God will reveal the truth the truth to them. I think knowing that revelation is God's work drives us to our knees in prayer. Uh, a few weeks ago I mentioned the man uh, I met at the bus stop. Um, I've been praying for him um, for the last little while uh, that God will help me to meet him again. Uh, yesterday, <laughs> lo and behold, uh, there he was <laughs> at the bus stop once again. Uh, we chatted as he waited for his bus, and uh, I invited him to read the Bible with me, and uh, with great enthusiasm, he said he would. <laughs> and so uh, I was encouraged to keep on praying for him, and uh, you might want to do the same uh, for me as I keep on seeing him. Well, uh, we've seen the way that you become a part of the church that Jesus is building. It is by confessing Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
But uh, I want you to notice that Jesus goes on to speak about how specifically this church will be built. Uh, it's, it's like he's spreading out the architectural plans here and putting it on the table. And the first thing that Jesus says there is that the church will be built on the rock. Uh, you can see it in verse 18, can't you, in what Jesus says to Peter. Uh, Jesus says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Here's a million-dollar question. Who or what is the rock that Jesus speaks about here upon which he will build the church? The Roman Catholic Church would say that this rock is Peter. Not our Peter, but Peter the Apostle. And those who succeed Peter in the office of Pope. In other words, it is the Pope upon which Jesus will build his church and around whom his church will find unity. Unfortunately, it's very hard to see in this passage anything about someone succeeding Peter uh, or the infallibility of Peter as the Pope. In fact, if you keep on reading, it kind of goes the opposite way as we learn more about um, how wrong Peter gets things. And so in rejecting the Roman Catholic Many Bible-believing Christians have said that the rock is not Peter, but it's actually Peter's confession. It's the confession that Jesus is the Christ that Jesus will build his church upon. Or others have suggested that the rock is Jesus himself. Uh, you know, Matthew himself has referred uh, in, in chapter 7, I think it was, to the wise man who builds his house on the rock. Uh, it seems to be a reference to Jesus. And in other parts of the Bible, like 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, 1 Corinthians 10, 4, it refers to Christ as the rock. And still other parts of the Bible refer to Jesus being the cornerstone, which was the most important rock in the structure of a building. And so it could be that the rock here is speaking about Jesus himself. But uh, here's what I think. Uh, I think that the rock here is Peter because Jesus is clearly using a pun here. The name Peter is a nickname that Jesus gave to Simon, which means rock. And so when Jesus says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, it seems that Jesus is using this pun at, as a way of referring to, to Peter as that rock. However, it's not because Peter is infallible or because he will be succeeded by other Peters who will be the next popes. No, it's because after Jesus' death, resurrection and ascension to heaven, Jesus begins to build his church as Peter and the other apostles preach what he has just confessed. They are the foundations upon which Jesus will build his church. They're preaching of the gospel. And so if you have a look at Peter's sermons in the book of Acts, you will notice that his message is that Jesus is the Christ. And so repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the promised Holy Spirit. It is upon Peter's preaching of the gospel that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus builds his church. 
That is why Jesus says he will give to Peter the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You can see it there in verse 19, can't you? Verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Uh, you know, every now and then you see those uh, key ceremonies. Have you seen those key ceremonies um, where the mayor of a city hands over this huge key uh, to someone that the city likes and has embraced? Uh, sporting hero, perhaps, a great benefactor, someone who has done wonderful things for the city. Well, apparently the tradition started in medieval times when towns and cities were gated and uh, they would give people the key to the city as a way of saying, well, you can unlock that gate and come in. But what are the keys to the kingdom of heaven that Peter is given? Well, it is none other than the gospel message. For as Peter and the apostles preached the gospel message that Jesus is the Christ, it has the power to either unlock the gates of heaven or shut them forever. You see, it is as the gospel is preached that some will repent and turn to Christ and be loosed from their sin and death and Satan and be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven, the church of the living God. But as people reject the gospel and refuse to turn to Christ in repentance, or they continue to be bound in sin and in death and under the power of Satan himself and shut out of the kingdom of heaven. In other words, Jesus will build his church as the apostles preach the gospel to the nations. And yet it's not just the apostles, is it? For the work of proclaiming the gospel that Jesus is the Christ and calling on people to turn to him in repentance and faith is also for us, for you and me. Uh, you might know that the gospel of Matthew ends with the Great Commission where Jesus commands all his disciples to go to the nations and make disciples of all nations. In the early church, we know from the book of Acts that while Peter and the apostles proclaimed the gospel, it was also others who were not apostles who proclaimed that Jesus is the Christ. It was people like Stephen, the first martyr, or Philip, the evangelist, or Barnabas, or the men of Cy Cyprus and Cyrene, who we are told evangelized the Greeks in the book of Acts. All those who confess Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of the living God, are to be the ones who proclaim Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so friends, how about you and me? Uh, we also have been given this gospel that can unlock eternity for those around us. I know that many of us have been hard at work in proclaiming the gospel. I know that many of us work hard at serving church, serving at church so that we might be built up to take the gospel to the people around us. I know that many of you are working hard in your workplaces and places of study, praying for and seizing opportunities to proclaim the gospel. Uh, it, it's a slow and tiring work at times, isn't it? Uh, perhaps you're feeling a bit weary of this work that God has called you to. 
And yet, brothers and sisters, as you do this work, which often seems weak and powerless and without result, I want you to hear the encouragement of Jesus in today's passage, who says, I will build my church. I will build my church, and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. Let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning, and we thank you especially for our Lord Jesus. We thank you that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that you have made him known to us not because of our cleverness or righteousness or by our human effort, but simply by your grace and your mercy to us. Father, we pray that you would help us to keep on seeing clearly who Jesus is, so that we might trust him and serve him and obey him in making disciples of all nations. Father, we often find this work difficult and challenging and without quick results, but we thank you for the great comfort of knowing that even as we participate in this work, it is Jesus himself who has promised to build his church and that not even death will prevail against it. And so please embolden us, help us to persevere, and we pray that uh, we pray for your mercy on those that we know who are yet to put their trust in Jesus. We pray that you would open their eyes. We pray that they might also confess Jesus to be the Christ and be loosed from the bondage of sin and death and Satan to belong to your everlasting kingdom. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.